for this reason, for the sake of your church, we bow our knees before you, Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of your glory, you may grant the members of Four Mile Church to be strengthened with power through your spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that all of us members of Four Mile Church, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of you, God. Now to you who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So I think it's important um, each week to kind of remind ourselves a little bit about why it is that we gather. And we are here each Sunday morning to worship Almighty God in spirit and in truth. And that's so important because that's one body, whether you're here in person or whether you're joining us online, we're united in Christ as we gather each week. So it's important that we continue to do that. So um, today, as Kami mentioned, we're going to start off a new sermon series that's going to take us for really almost two months. Um, and I think through it, we're really going to see um, how important it is that we're mindful of the way in which we pray. And the text that we're going to study is basically the prayer that Cammie just prayed for us. Now, she kind of made some adjustments to it because Paul has a very general prayer for the church, and we kind of personalized it specifically uh, for four miles. So let's go ahead and just read through it again. For this reason, for the sake of your church, we bow our knees before you, Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of your glory, you may grant the members of Four Mile Church to be strengthened with power through your spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that all of us members of Four Mile Church, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of you, God. Now to you, who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So this was the prayer that Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus. Now, that was 2,000-some years ago. But this prayer, as you can see as we read through it, very much applies to us here in the fall of 2022. In general, it's a prayer for cosmic power, for strength, and for knowledge to carry on our commission as a church. And we're going to need that because we've been called to go make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach people all that Jesus has commanded us. So this is going to be a pretty compelling next two months or so. I'm already kind of out in my preparation through about five of the sermons and I'm telling you, with each additional one, it just is extremely more compelling and more powerful. So I hope you'll tune in. Um, of course, if you can't make it on a Sunday, um, you can join us online with our online crowd. Or if you can't even make it because the time just doesn't line up for you, go to our website later in the week. Um, just click on sermons. It'll take you right to our YouTube page, and you'll be able to continue to follow along. So let's begin 
by making sure we're clear on the context for Paul's prayer here at the very end of chapter 3. You recall chapter 2, the previous chapter, it ended with Paul teaching us about unity in Christ, about Christ's body, the Christian church, the dwelling place for God in the New Testament. And that's because the objects of God's plan set in place before the foundation of the world was to unite all things in Christ. That's why God sent His Son, the Messiah, to save and to unite His adopted children. And then chapter 3 starts out with, for this reason, three words, meaning whatever Paul's about to say is for this reason. So the reason is clearly from chapter 2, which is the sake of the church. But then before Paul gets to his point, like he often does, he interrupts himself and he takes this digression that we've been studying for the last month or so, it's about 12 verses, and then as we learn that digression is really um, a really important part because he was concerned that the church in Ephesus was going to lose heart over his imprisonment. But you recall, Paul was not in prison because he did something wrong. He was imprisoned because he carried out his commission. And that's exactly what we can expect. Because like Paul, whenever we carry out our commission, we can probably expect to be in constant trouble, to be completely fearless, and to be absurdly happy. And that's exactly what Paul is. Now, Paul reminds us also in this digression of these mysteries. He talks about two of them that were revealed to him. Those are those truths that a human cannot comprehend until God actually reveals it to them. The first one we call the general mystery is that Christ's blood makes those who were dead in their trespasses and sins alive again in Christ. That's called the gospel message. And then the second more particular mystery is that that gospel message, it applies to Jews and Gentiles alike. Gentiles don't need to become Jews. Both Jews and Gentiles need to become something new. They need to become Christians in this New Testament church. Paul, of course, explains all of this in detail, as he always does, and he's exhorting the church to respond to this amazing grace of this gospel message by engaging, first of all, in ministry to others. That's the making disciples of all nations, building up the body of Christ, his church. And that's so that the church might be able to put God's manifold wisdom on display for the authorities and the rulers in the heavenly places. And when you think about that, like Cammy says each week, it's mind-blowing when you consider the cosmic role that the church has been designed to play. And that's why Paul, he doesn't take his commission lightly, and neither should we. And then in verse 14, where we pick up today, Paul goes back to those same words he used in verse 1. The digression is over. It's the phrase he started the chapter out with, but he never finished. For this reason. So it's for the sake of Christ's church, the saints, those who are faithful in Christ Jesus, that Paul then prays this prayer. Now, before we get into the prayer, there's a couple of really important points that we can learn by how Paul sets this whole thing up. First, Paul demonstrates how vital it is that prayer is coupled with preaching the word of truth. As you recall, chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians they're all about belief. And then four through six, they're all about behavior. We'll pick those up after Christmas. So Paul just got done 
preaching a whole bunch of deep theological things that we're supposed to believe. And then what does he do? He stops and he prays. And that demonstrates for us how important it is that when we receive the truth of Scripture, that we're also engaged with prayer. And that is, that's why right now there's a couple of people who have been assigned to pray for us during this worship service. We do it every single week. Many of you have done it. You all kind of take turns throughout the year. It's so important because as we receive the truth of Scripture, we also need prayer to strengthen us to receive it. It's also why we have a response time each week so that after we receive the Word, it gives us a little bit of time to go before our Father and ask Him to counsel us, to convict us, to comfort us about what it is that He's just taught us so that we can apply it to our everyday, ordinary lives. And we saw this back on the Sermon on the Mount when we studied Jesus' prayer. It's the means by which we acknowledge our dependence on God. That is why we pray. The second thing we can kind of learn from this is that prayer helps reveal the state of our inner being, where our hearts are. Just like how we spend our time or how we spend our money kind of reveals the priorities within our hearts, so too do our prayers. They actually speak volumes. They show us what we're focused on, whether we're focused on material worldly things in our prayers or whether we're focused on kingdom things. And we're going to see over the next couple of weeks how Paul doesn't ever seem to ask for the material stuff because it's just not where his heart is. He's focused on asking and seeking and knocking for knowledge and strength to carry out kingdom things. And so should ours. That's exactly where our heart should be. And that's why if you receive the what you need to know each week, if you don't, go to the website and sign up for it. It's an email we send out every Monday with all the things going on in the church. And at the top of that, we have our kingdom prayers. So we want the church to be praying for kingdom prayers throughout the week. We'd love it if every person committed to at least once a week pulling that up and praying through the kingdom prayers. It's so important for us as a church to do that. So let's just take a minute then and let's pause to check our inner being. I'm going to give everybody just a minute. We're just going to stop right here and just go ahead and pray. So go ahead. We'll just pray together. Quiet of our hearts. Amen. It's kind of nice, wasn't it? We probably should do that a little bit more often as a church. But now let's just take a moment and let's reflect a little bit. What is it that we prayed for? Was it about those material things in our lives? Or was it about kingdom things? Did we pray for physical health Or do we pray for spiritual health? If we think about a prayer we might have on a normal morning during the week, do we pray 
that little Tommy might have a good day at school? Or do we pray that whatever happens to little Tommy in school will bring him closer to God, will deepen his dependence on him? Because at the end of the day, Tommy's spiritual condition matters far more than his happiness, far more than his academic success, far more than whether or not he makes the soccer team after school that day. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we truly believe that? Because if we do, our prayers, they'll reflect it. And that's exactly the kind of stuff that Paul's going to show us as we work through this prayer. So it's for the sake of the church. It's for this reason that Paul prays. And he's careful to begin by explaining the posture of his prayer. He writes, I bow my knees before the Father. Now, this is noteworthy because it was customary back in the day to stand when you prayed out of a sign of respect for God. So the Jewish faith, they stand when they pray. Even today, when someone walks into our room, if we're seated, we stand out of reverence for that person. It's a sign of respect. But to be clear, this is not Paul teaching us that if we stand when we pray, we're wrong. He's not telling us that the only way to pray is that we bow. Rather, what we see here is Paul is showing us where his inner self is as he comes before the Lord in prayer. Paul knows he's powerless on his own. So his posture conveys how absolutely dependent he is on God. He needs his strength because it's the only way the church is ever going to be able to carry on its commission. It can't do it on its own. That's why so many of us have gone to church over and over again, but we've never really carried out our commission. We can't do it on our own. We need his strength. And that's why Paul is physically on his knees, because the totality of his being reflects his utter dependence on God. Now to push on this just a little bit further, just think for a moment about the two response mechanisms that we have to a threat, right? It's either flight or fight. And when we're on our knees, it's nearly impossible to flee. When we're on our knees, our ability to fight is almost completely eliminated. And that's exactly where Paul is. He knows his position. He hasn't the strength to flee or to fight. All that the church is going to come in contact with. He also knows even the feeble words that he cobbles together before Almighty God, have absolutely no strength either. He knows the only one who can power the church is God. And that's where his heart is, and that's why he bows. Like all of us, Paul is simply a beggar before Almighty God. He knows what Isaiah wrote to be true, that God looks to those who are humble, contrite in spirit, and who tremble at his word. And so he's on his knees before his father. And then he writes, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So our name. It brings us back once again to this issue of our identity. So let's start with Paul's use of this word family. Even though it's taken quite a few hits lately, family as an institution is still how we're primarily organized as humans. We're all born into a family. 
not of our choosing. And at some level or another, that family shapes nearly every aspect of our lives. And Paul makes specific reference to the family name, which in part reflects the family's identity. And that's important because we receive our last name from our family. It identifies us as a Lyle or as a Smith in this case. So that's one part of our identity as humans that comes as a result of the family that we're born into. And of course, we have absolutely no control over the family that we arrive to. We don't pick it. God is the one who assigns it to us. And I wonder, have you ever thought deeply about that before? Because it's not inconsequential in any way. It shapes the totality of our lives in so many profound ways. If you think about it, our family also gives us our first name. We don't typically get to choose that one either. Whether it's David, Alec, Randy, or John, as we see up here. It's how people refer to us for the entirety of our lives. So it too is key to our identity. And although we rarely use middle names, they're also given to us by our families. It helps identify us even further. And of course, the ability to name someone is directly related to the authority that God has granted to parents. Other relatives and friends, they may have input, but the parents have the authority to name their children, and that authority goes all the way back to the garden. It's an immense responsibility. It's not something you see parents taking lightly, because that name is going to identify that person throughout their life. Take, for example, John Z. Smith on our graphic. He's part of the extended Smith family. Of course, Smith is a very popular name. So which Smith are we talking about here? Well, we're talking about John Z. Smith, born in 1966, passed away just a couple of years back. Oh, yeah. I think his family, they owned a dairy farm, didn't they? Yeah, I remember John Z. Smith, crazy smart guy, hard, hard worker. He'd give you the shirt off his back. Man, did he love the Lord. He was a servant of Christ Jesus. That was John's identity. The family had the authority to name him John, and they raised him in step with Smith family values. The entire Smith clan were a bunch of hard workers. They were smart people, very generous, and they loved Jesus. It's part of their identity. And when you trace all the families back to their origin, they go back to one father of all, the Lord God Almighty, who is the ultimate authority. In fact, he's the father of all creation, earthly and heavenly beings alike. Every breath ever taken, every hair that's ever set atop someone's head, every talent ever bestowed, every single heartbeat granted by our sovereign and good God, the name above all names, the one with ultimate authority, the one who before the foundation of the world named his adopted children as heirs to his kingdom. And that's why John Z. Smith was a servant of Christ Jesus. It was by the will of God. 
because John was named as such by Lord God Almighty himself as one of his adopted children. So John's identity was in Christ, and therefore he was part of God's family, the church. And if you've placed your faith in Jesus, then your identity is also in Christ. It doesn't matter how broken or messed up your earthly family is. It doesn't matter at all. You are a child of God. And do you want to know why? Because God said so. And whenever he speaks something, it always happens. It's how you can know for sure the answers to those three existential questions that we keep talking about whenever we look at our tombstones. Our birth date reminds us about this question, where is it that I came from? Our death date causes us to consider this question, where will I go when I die? And the dash in between, why am I here? And when we are in Christ, we know answers to those questions. We know exactly where we came from. God chose us, and then he created us. That's where we came from. We know where we're going when we die. We know exactly where we're going to acquire possession of our inheritance in heaven. And we know exactly why we're here, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Why? Because the Lord God Almighty named you as one of his. He is your father, and you are his child. So you are one of his heirs with full rights to the inheritance of God's kingdom, all of his riches, and all of his grace. And if you get nothing else from today, I hope you see how remarkable your adoption really is. It is absolutely no small thing. It's the biggest thing in the totality of our existence. And Paul acknowledges it all as he comes before his father on bended knee to ask, to seek, and to knock for kingdom things. We have to see prayer here as such an immense privilege. We must never become afflicted with flippancy or complacency in our prayers. We're coming before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. In His sovereignty and His goodness, we must come with a healthy fear of the Lord. So whether we stand or whether we kneel before Him, we must come in humility, contrite in spirit, and trembling at His word. But we must never come flippant or complacent in our prayer. And I think everybody here knows what I'm talking about. Those prayers where we say, Lord, what a great day. Be with Tommy. It's one of the most often uttered prayers. We've all done it. I'm guilty of it too. Think about it. Why would we ever pray for God to be with Tommy when God always promises that he's gonna be with us? It's part of the Great Commission. Tyler reads it to us each week. Jesus said, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. If Tommy's a believer, God's already with him. If he's not a believer, he probably doesn't want God to be with him. Now, if we're praying for Tommy to come to know Jesus, then pray for that. But none of this flippant be with stuff. That's yet another reason why preaching and praying go hand in hand. Not only do we need to pray for knowledge and strength, to understand the teaching from Scripture. But we also need to learn from the teaching of Scripture how it is 
that we should pray. And that's why they go hand in hand. And we have to guard against this because we're so prone to becoming flippant and complacent in our prayers. We're often just on autopilot when we pray. Some of us are just happy with ourselves that we even found time in our busy schedules to mutter a brief prayer. Isn't the fact that we tried to pray good enough? Well, maybe, but we don't see flippant and complacent prayers in Scripture. Rather, we find specific, heartfelt, genuine, thoughtful, contrite, concise, and humble prayers, powerful prayers. The prayers in the Bible are not afflicted with the disease of flippancy and complacency, unaware to whom it is that these petitions are being made. The all-present, all-powerful, all-knowing, creator and sustainer of the universe, none other than the Lord God Almighty, who desires to bestow on us the riches of his glorious grace. If only we would just ask, seek, and knock for those kingdom things. Well, here's the good news. As we move through this short prayer, word by word, Paul's going to teach us over the next couple of weeks, leading right up to Thanksgiving, a great deal about how to pray these powerful kingdom prayers. You see, we simply do not have access to what we need as a church to carry out our commission until we begin to pray like this. A church that bends the knee before our Father in humility, contrite in spirit, and trembling at His Word, in total dependence on who He is, the Lord God Almighty. Let's pray. For this reason, for the sake of Your church, we bow our knees before You, Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of Your glory, You may grant the members of Four Mile Church to be strengthened with power through Your Spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. That all of us members of Four Mile Church, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of You, God. Now to You who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to You be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So for our response time today, we're going to take some time and we're going to focus on prayer. I want you to think about your posture. Stand, stay seated, kneel, but let it reflect your inner being in that moment. We're also going to encourage you to take those booklets that we handed out. They'll be here throughout the whole series. We hope that you'll spend some time writing on them. Think a little bit about those kingdom prayers. Of course, pray for personal prayers too. I would even encourage you to try to memorize this over the next couple of weeks. In fact, if you were to just move through us, we're taking little bite-sized chunks and just remember, memorize it week by week, you'll find we'll get there pretty quickly. We're going to actually put a timer up here behind me. It's got five minutes on it. Longest prayer in Scripture is only three minutes. So if you spent two minutes just kind of writing out your prayers and spend about three minutes or so praying, I think we'll all find a great deal about how we pray and asking God for help as we pray going forward.